This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu brings it back! I haven't, I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Football. Oh, what a start! What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome to House of Champions, YouTube friends, dropping your comments and questions in that chat and make sure you smash the like and subscribe buttons as we talk with Fabrizio Romano about the deep, dark secrets of the crazy transfer window that just closed. Here we go. I'm Enjoy and I'm joined by my co-host of House of Champions. Yes, it's Jonathan Johnson and Michael LaHood. Uh, plus, there he is, the hardest working and most tired man on the internet. Let's give a golf <laughs> clap for Fabrizio Romano, everybody. Uh, thank you, well thank you. How Too are kind. you, buddy? Thank you. I'm fine, I'm fine, thank you. It was a crazy deadline day. I think probably the best in the last 10 years in January, because for January deadline day, usually it's quiet, but yesterday was really mad. And so that's it. I'm tired, but I loved it. A couple of quick questions before we really get into the secrets of what happened in this transfer window. But what do you do now? Now it's over. I mean, you must mentally have to switch off, have a glass of wine, put your phone down. Like, what are you Ret- doing right now? How are you chilling Ret- out? Retirement, baby. Surely it's golf. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just try to, to live normal life. But at the same time, it's important to uh, stay in touch with uh, football people every single day. Yeah, this is this is probably my biggest secret, but I think all journalists' secret to be in contact with sources, not just when things are happening, but also when the market is closed, when things are not happening, to have kind of daily, weekly conversation. For me, it's really important. Of course, there's a lot of people, and so it's not always that easy, but I always try to, to stay in touch. So... For example, yesterday night I was back home. It was like 3 a.m. and I spent one hour on phone just to send a message to all the people who helped me on, on deadline day because for me this kind of relationship is really important on the work side but also really important on the human side to have also this kind of human relationship and not just I need you for the news and then that's it. Yes, I mean, mad respect for that. But it also comes across <laughs> with you. your product. Yeah. What you put out there on the live feed, your social medias. I mean, we are so grateful for the hard work that goes on and Thank the you. relationships that you have. This was a freaking crazy transfer window. So the first question I have for you before we get into the deep, dark secrets is, what is the biggest shock for you in this transfer window? There were some crazy ones. 
Yes, I want to say Mudrik to Chelsea because mm. um, because now, of course, we don't have that kind of feeling as it was two weeks ago. But what happened that Saturday with Mikhailo Mudrik is mad. Mudrik was really, really close to Arsenal in November, in December, early January. And then Chelsea hijacked the deal in 24 hours. Uh, they were able to complete the deal really in one single day. And this is something really complicated to see in the transfer market. So Mudrik to Chelsea was a big shock. And then João Cancelo to Bayern. Cancelo to Bayern was a big surprise, was a really surprising one because the player was not expected to leave at all. Uh, we are not used to see this kind of loan deals in January for important players like Cancelo. So I want to mention this too because I think it was really unexpected to see Mudrik join Chelsea and Cancelo to leave Man City in general to join Bayern on a loan deal. I think this was a, a big one for, for Bayern and unexpected for City. All right, massive thanks to everybody out there for jumping in the comments already, for joining us on House of Champions. It is Ian Joy alongside Michael LaHood and Jonathan Johnson, my co-host. And of course, there he is, Fabrizio Romano. Let's get into it. We begin with Rafael Leao. I mean, we got to talk about it because you've just been mm. tweeting about it. And he's also tweeting you, Fabrizio. I did notice <laughs> that there. What is the status of the negotiations and why is he tweeting you? I think he's tweeting me because he wants to feel a bit protected after what happened on the Italian press. In the last few days in Italian press, we heard that the conversations between Leao and Milan were almost collapsed to extend the contract. And this is a very big topic in Italy because uh, we're speaking about the transfer market, but it's basically only Premier League. Here in Italy, nothing happened with Napoli, with Inter, with Milan, with Juventus. They signed zero players. All these clubs, zero new signings. And we're speaking about important clubs. So in Italy, the big topic is the new contracts. Uh, Skriniar, who is going to join PSG at the end of the season. Rafa Leao, Adrian Rabiot, all these players out of contract in a few months or a few years, because in the case of Leao, it's summer 2024. And so we had these rumors of a deal collapsing to extend the contract of Leao. And he wanted to clarify after Milan, also his agent, uh, Tim Dimbula, he wanted to clarify that Leao is still conversating with Milan. He wants to stay at Milan. So there is a negotiation to extend the contract and nothing is this is a very important update and I think Leao wanted to feel a bit protected after many rumours and also as Milan fans after they lost Chalanoglu on a free, Donnarumma on a free, Frank Kessie on a free, they are worried about the situation of Leao. Uh, it's just one year contract for a fantastic player and so I think the player also wanted to send a message uh, not to me but to the, to the fans to say look that I'm not, I'm not leaving, I'm still negotiating with Milan. Fab, we have to hit on the headliner of headliners of this transfer window, Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea. I was hitting refresh time and time again, waiting for the here we go. <laughs> we finally got it. What was the holdup and how did it all unfold? I've been dying to know. It's about the payment terms because at the end the deal was uh, almost clear, 120 million, 121, but it was about the, the final the final details on the payment terms. The president of Benfica, Manuel Ricosta, I think, has been the big uh, the big name of this of this deal because really he tried in every way to keep the player, but at the end at the end Enzo was really pushing to leave. Enzo wanted to go to Chelsea, Enzo was desperate to go to Chelsea, and so for Ricosta there was no other way. I think he's been really smart in the negotiations because he was trying to uh, get this deal until the deadline day to make sure Benfica were going to sell Enzo with the best conditions. And at the end, Chelsea were able to do it in payment with installments because it will be six different installments, but also 40 million pounds of the total fee, 120 million euros for Enzo Fernandez, but 40 million pounds, so almost 45 million euros will be paid up front. So Benfica will immediately receive 45 million euros and all the rest will be in installments. So I think it was... A very good negotiation for Rui Costa. Chelsea signed one of the best talents in the world and Enzo only wanted Chelsea. Enzo was very clear with Benfica. He was respectful, but behind the scenes, Enzo was 
was pushing and so I wanted to go to Chelsea. And so for all the parties, it made sense to complete the deal in the final hours instead of waiting maybe for the summer. And uh, for for Benfica, Fab, from their position, I mean, do they have some? Do they have a replacement lined up? Are they confident already in the the players that they have in the squad uh, that they don't need to bring anyone else in necessarily to to replace Enzo? They are looking at some options. We had many rumors. For example, Benfica were interested in Maximo Perrone, the Vélez midfielder who joined Manchester City. Uh, the timing was really important. Rui Costa wanted to sell. And so Fernandez, at the beginning of the window or nothing, this was the position because he wanted to make sure to have a replacement ready and Perrone was one of the priorities. But then, as we mentioned, he joined uh, Manchester City. Now, for sure, they are exploring other options. Let's see if there will be some some name. We know that one of the players they are scouting is Varela, midfielder of Boca Juniors, who is a very good player in the list also fan of some English club. Very good talent in the midfield, but it's not an easy deal. Uh, so let's see what happens. But for sure, Benfica are exploring some options and I'm sure they will try to do some other bargain and I want to say something positive for the Benfica fans they signed the top talent from North Sealand it was a few weeks ago but Sheldrup this midfielder born in 2004 Norwegian is a top talent that guy was really close to join Liverpool Liverpool wanted to sign him now for the summer and the guy said no I want to go to Benfica it's the perfect step now for me to go to that club and maybe move to the Premier League in the future and so Benfica already signed an important talent in Sheldrup I'm sure I'm sure yeah, why not? Why not go to a club that sold a, what a billion and a half worth of players <laughs> over the last seven years? Might be a good step for any player out there. We got a lot of loyal listeners out there, Fabrizio. Um, I've got a great question for you in just a moment, but I gotta let you know that Vic is in the house. He is a Chelsea fan. He says when Fabrizio showed his phone to his co-host yesterday on the live feed, <laughs> I knew that Enzo to Chelsea was done. But guess what? Fabrizio <laughs> made us wait another hour. Was it done? Did you know it was done before you actually announced it, or were you still? No, waiting? no, 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 no. And I can show you the message. No, I received the message uh, two minutes before before sharing, but because I was making sure that everything was also confirmed on the other side of the deal. So I wanted to be 100% sure because it was a very big one, but it only took two, three minutes for me to, to release. It was not decided one hour before. Also because it would be really stupid, honestly. There are many journalists working on the same news. It's deadline day. It's not a normal day. You can do that kind of things if it's a normal day, I don't know, in November, in December. But during the transfer window, on the deadline day, a few hours to go, if you have a news, you try to share as soon as possible. So I'm not keeping news. I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I am into a show. For me, it's not like that. I just want to bring the news as soon as I can. That's it. I'm into a show. All right, next year, I'm going to come and hang out with you on transfer deadline day. And I'm going to wind the hell out of everybody out there who's watching because I was sitting on the edge of my seat, as Michael Hood was just mentioned a moment ago. We got a great question coming in from PYS. He says, hey, can Fabrizio give us some insight into how Bedad Apali was acting and feeling last night during the Enzo talk? I mean, I mean, this is a, a difficult position for him to be in here, waiting for this deal to get done, trying to get over the finish line. Can you even put into words like what he must have been feeling? Nah, yes. He, they, from what I understood, they've been 20 hours negotiating. I say they because it's Betadek Bali, but also Todd Boli. They were 100% involved in the story together with the board. But I know there is a lot of uh, negative stories on, on Chelsea, how much they are spending. And honestly, I'm not aware of the financial fair play rules. They feel really relaxed, but I'm not into it because I really don't know. So let's see what happens with the financial fair play. But Chelsea are really relaxed about that. But what I wanted to say is that I think it's beautiful to see new owners entering in football and showing 
that they are into it. They are going to sign players. They did a mission for Mudrik. Yesterday, they were in negotiations for Enzo Fernandez, 20 hours directly with Benfica president Rui Costa. Many times we see top clubs owned by people who are on the other side of the world, not even caring on the results of the squad. We don't even know the face of the owner. In this case, we can see some passion. At least maybe they will do some mistakes. Maybe they will do some great things. I don't know. This will be in the, in the future games. We will see. But I'm sure that they are showing passion. Yesterday, it was 20-hour negotiation from early morning to the end of the window. Uh, that was 100% involved, Todd Bowley, but also all the people into the world of Chelsea. And so into the board, like people, uh, Paul Winstanley, Christopher Vivel, Joe Shields, all the new people that joined Chelsea working on many things. So it was a really complicated one. But trust me, behind the scenes, to complete that kind of move on deadline day, you need really a lot of hard work. Otherwise, it's not happening. Love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to hear you talking about how hard Chelsea were working uh, behind the scenes, Fab, because you've talked about Mudrik being perhaps the big surprise of the transfer window, but I think Chelsea were also involved in the fiasco of the transfer window. Hakim Ziyech, yes. nobody really <laughs> expected that link with PSG up until the very last minute of the transfer window. Suddenly it looks like the deal's going to happen. He's in Paris, he does his medical, and then it falls through incredibly. I mean, what happened there, you know, it, from what you're hearing, uh, you know, where does the, the sort of fault lie with that? Because the, the player must be pretty distraught right now. Yes, the player is is really disappointed also because Akim Ziyech in the last 48 hours of the market received two, three approaches, not just from Paris Saint-Germain, but he also he had also other two, three possibilities. Also in other countries, and he only wanted to go to PSG. Uh, as you mentioned, he was in Paris, he had his medical, so his message was very clear. He wanted the PSG, the PSG move. And it was a big shock. Paris Saint-Germain are really furious with, uh, with Chelsea because they think the documents were signed but were sent too late. And so they think it was Chelsea's fault and this is why the, the, the deal collapsed. Chelsea say that it's about the technology and uh, when they sent the contracts, it was not uh, the, the right time because of the technology and not because of them. So we will see. They will clarify the situation. I think they will speak and try to clarify the situation. In this moment, they are really furious. The player is really disappointed. Let's see what Ziyech will decide to do because now some Turkish club, the market is still open there. Some Turkish club will try to approach Ziyech for sure, but I'm told that at the moment the player uh, doesn't have any intention to, to change his mind. He wanted PSG, so now he wants to understand what's the next the next step, but Paris Saint-Germain are, are really furious. Let me say another thing. When you arrive to the final minutes of the transfer window, when you had one month to complete the deal, this is something that you have to expect, because if you arrive to the end, Big surprises can be positive, like Kenzo, but also negative, like Ziyech. So I can't understand why clubs arrive to the final day sometimes if you can do your business before. Real quickly, I want to jump in quickly. Do you think because of the Enzo deal that that might have messed up what was happening with the paperwork with the Ziyech deal? No, 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 no. I think no. Chelsea have many people into the board. It's not one director. There are some clubs, for example, Benfica, Manuel Ricosta decides everything. But in Chelsea, they have two owners, they have four or five people into the board. They were dealing with many things because at the same moment, they had some young players deal to be completed, uh, other negotiations, uh, other signings. So they did many things at the same moment. So it's not about the answer deal. Uh, I'm sure about that. It's about how they sent the contrast. The contrast were signed, but were sent too late. But I'm told it's not about that. Uh, I smell a bit of the David De Gea fax machine crime that was committed in the January transfer window yesteryear. It was a double dose of disappointment for PSG. Not only did they not get Ziyech, but they didn't get another player, Fab. Why did Inter Milan not sell Skriniar, and how did this deal collapse in the end? 
Yes, the deal collapsed because of the financial fair play. So just to explain, uh, Paris Saint-Germain have an agreement with Skriniar for, for the summer. So Skriniar is expected to join Paris Saint-Germain on a, on a free transfer. In the, in the summer, he signed the pre-contract, the normal pre-contract you can sign in January to become a player of a new club as free agent in the summer. Then what happened? PSG told Inter that they wanted to make a proposal to sign Skriniar immediately. But Inter said, we want 20 million to let Skriniar leave now. Why? Because of the financial fair play, they need to complete deals with the same value if they want to bring in a replacement. And the only replacement they really wanted was Meri de Miral, the Turkish centre-back of Atalanta. So the Miral value was 20 million and Inter wanted 20 million because they're not allowed to spend one euro more of what they're receiving from the sale of Milan Skriniar. This was the reason. So Atalanta asked for 20 million for de Miral. And Paris Saint-Germain only offered 10 million euros for Milan Skriniar. For PSG, the value to anticipate the deal was 10 million euros. So Inter were waiting for PSG to improve the proposal, but the only bid made by Paris Saint-Germain was 10 million euros on Saturday and nothing else happened. So Skriniar is staying at Inter, not an easy situation, eh? not easy at all, because uh, we know that the fans are not happy with uh, Skriniar already deciding to go to Paris Saint-Germain, but at the end of the season, he will join uh, Christophe Galtier, Luis Campos and all the Paris Saint-Germain team. Another deal that took a while to, to take shape, Fab, uh, but ultimately came through was uh, Pedro Porro uh, going to, to Tottenham. I mean, given that you know they managed to, to nick uh, Dan Yuma and then uh, Porro, that's quite a good finish to the to the transfer window for them. Obviously, there's a bit of worrying news about or concerning news about uh, Antonio Conte. But, uh, you know, what took Spurs so long to be able to finally get into a position to complete that deal on Porto? Let me start saying that negotiating with Portuguese club is never easy because Portuguese clubs, I think it's part of their of their job, they always try to get the best conditions when they sell their best players. And uh, this is how they deal. And so it's never, it's never easy. With Sporting, what happened is that they had an agreement on Saturday night. So it was pretty early. Everything was, was done. It was a very long negotiation eh, because Tottenham and the Sporting started to negotiate early January. Then in the second week of January, Tottenham offered almost £30 million pounds plus a potential player on loan or on a permanent deal. Uh, and Sporting said no, €45 million Euros or nothing, the value of the release clause. Then on Saturday, they reached an agreement on the release clause. So €45 million, Euros, but Sporting insists that they want the money paid in a different way. So big amount up front. So um, Tottenham decided to, to, to proceed. The agreement was there. Pedro Porro goes to the final game and says goodbye to the fans. Then the day after, Sunday, he was prepared to fly to London in the night to have the medical on Monday morning as new Tottenham player. But then what happens is that on Sunday night, Sporting changed the conditions of the deal on the payment terms. And so a big mess for Tottenham to be resolved on Monday. But then on Monday afternoon, everything was agreed between Tottenham and Sporting again on the payment terms. So it's a loan deal with obligation to buy close. It's 45 million euros. Uh, and so the deal was completed. Yesterday, I know there was a bit of drama because Tottenham were never announcing this deal. Uh, so it was announced in the final minutes, but it was already done. So for Pedro Porro, there was no problem at all on deadline day. The big problem was on Monday, but on deadline day, there was no problem. Porro signed the contract around 8 p.m. And so everything was, was under control. Fab, keeping it in North London, question from loyal viewer and, and really one of our fans, um, Aaron Alexander. Out of 10, how would you rate Arsenal's transfer business this window? And how do you see them going after the likes of Declan Rice and Zubimendi come summertime? 
Yes, I think they will go for a midfielder in the summer, for sure. Uh, we already discussed about that also here with uh, with James Bench. I think they will go for a midfielder. Declan Rice is really appreciated internally. Zubi Mendy is one of the players they were following before they decided to go for, for Jorginho. So I expect them to go for a new midfielder in, in the summer. Then we will see who they will pick as the best option. Uh, and for the um, for the transfer window for, uh, for Arsenal, I would say I've given like an eight, because I think it was a very good window for Arsenal. It was a 10 with Mudrik. It's an eight with the current situation, but I think Trossard is a very good signing, very good money. I think Jorginho is an underrated signing. I think he's a very smart one in January, because because you bring a player who knows very well the club, the city, the league, big experience. He can help in the midfield, but also into the dressing room. He's very popular in the dressing room. He's always appreciated by his teammates in the, in the Italian national team, Napoli, Chelsea, always been highly rated by all his, his teammates. And Mikel Arteta is a big fan. I'm told Arteta was pushing for Jorginho as option when they understood that there was no other possibility to go for Moises Caicedo. So I think it's a very smart deal. 10 million pounds. So a player who can help at least for one year and a half, maybe two years. I think it's a very, very smart signing. And then Kivior for the future. Kivior is a very interesting player with big potential. So I think it was a very good window for us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and keep this question short, Fab, because it's obviously it's one that can get uh, quite vague with so many different topics. But Barcelona, there's a lot going on there at the moment. They've got this battle going on with La Liga. They've got uh, Gavi's renewal uh, and then the Julian Araujo deal sort of up in the air as well. What's the, the situation with Barca before we let you go? Yes, uh, with Gavi, they are, they are waiting to get it approved. Uh, of course, this is technical stuff with La Liga, so they are on it. But the Julian Araujo deal is about the MLS. Because what happened is that yesterday, Barcelona, after the Hector Bellerin with Sporting, as Hector Bellerin deal with Sporting, completed on a permanent deal. So Bellerin uh, left Barcelona. They were looking for a new right back. And the player they want is Julian Araujo, Mexican player, playing for Los Angeles Galaxy. Agreement with the player on a contract until June 2026. Agreement with Los Angeles Galaxy on a permanent transfer, around 3-4 million euros, with some clauses on uh, the future sale. So everything was agreed, but the MLS had to approve the deal. And the approval was 20 seconds after the deadline but it was the MLS because the player signed and the two clubs signed so the MLS had to approve the deal and they signed 20 seconds oh. after the end of the of the window so now they are waiting <laughs> to see if the deal will go through or not it will be decided I think in the next hours it's a matter of hours the agents are waiting Barcelona are waiting the player is waiting because he was desperate to join Barca we can understand mm. it's a big opportunity for the boy so they're a bit confident because they say in the case of Ziyech for example it was a problem between clubs in this case it was MLS to sign the contracts a bit uh, late so they hope it will go through let's see but this is another crazy story of a crazy transfer window full of hijacks and, and mad stories they just don't get it. They just don't get it, MLS, do they? They don't get it. They've not dealt with this transfer window. They're not expecting the here we go. This kid's sitting here waiting for his dream move. Barcelona looking for a talent that he can push through into the first team, the Galaxy, looking for some money. And then 20 seconds later, Don Garber picks up his phone. I mean, I'm disappointed all around because this would have been a great move for Major League Soccer. It would have put them into the news, into the headlines. Great for the player. I hope eventually the deal does get done. Fabrizio... Our yeah, time is up with you. Ian, I have one Fantastic. more question. No, 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 no. Very quick, very quick. Very <laughs> quick. I never do this. I'm not Nigel. I never do this. I never do this, Fab. One question for you. I got news of a player who, who just said this morning he's training for a big, big special match. And this guy's a world-class talent. Can you tell me if there's any clubs that are in for this player? I think we all know him. We're familiar with him. Look at the glutes. Look at the lunges. Club, <laughs> Uh, there's only see, one I think club. It's some very big Spanish club, probably, <laughs> or, or, or Bundesliga club also. We have to yes. see which one will win the race. But 
Probably Bundesliga oh, yeah. will win the race. Ah, you see the size. You see the size of those glutes. You see the size of those glutes. Ready to go, that boy is there. Yes, I am making my comeback here. I can't wait for it. I'm playing in a game in March, March 25th. If anybody's free, it's the international window. You're welcome to come to Hamburg, Germany. I'm playing in a testimonial game if you want to see me pull my hamstring. Uh, last one, Fabrizio, before I let you go. Um, which club had the best transfer window? Which one out of you? Chelsea. You've dealt with many clubs, many players. Which club did the best transfer Chelsea, window? Chelsea, no doubts. Chelsea has been incredible, really incredible. And um, I really think they're trying to, to do something special for the future because if you think about that, Joe Felix, Madweke, Mudrik, Enzo Fernandez, Andre Santos, Badiashil, and more is incredible. It's really incredible. You are absolutely the best, mate. We appreciate yeah. you. It's a, it's great to have you with us. It's an honor to talk football with you as well. What Thank a you. great brain you have. And obviously, just brilliant to watch and very entertaining. So we appreciate you and all the hard work that you've done through this Thanks transfer window. Go get some wine. Go have some pasta. <laughs> go relax and enjoy yourself. Have a good conversation away from football with your friends and family. Uh, thanks for Thank everything, you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All Thanks right. a lot as always and see you soon. Everybody out there, stick around. More from the boys when we come uh, back. It's House of Champions. We'll be right back after the break. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You heard what she said. Don't miss out on any of the Serie A action. Follow some of the biggest stars in the sport like Olivia Giroud, Rafael Leao, and Lautaro Martinez as they try to lead their teams to Scudetto. How will the table change going forward? Which club has the best chance of winning it all? Which club? has the most to lose. Find out all the answers and stream every match from Italy's top soccer league live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month free with promo code Serie A. Welcome back to House of Champions, everybody. It's Ian Joy with Michael LaHood and Jonathan Johnson, who likes to have his microphone apparently on mute, even though you looked <laughs> awesome there, JJ. I'm glad you've unmuted it for this because we're going to dig deep into what happened with PSG and this Hakim Ziyech deal. Now, I know you are in. You are in with PSG. You know exactly what went wrong. And you just you just let slip just for a brief minute there that you were disappointed with the way that PSG handled this situation. So from your point of view and from what you saw or heard, what the hell went wrong, man? Yeah, I mean, I, I was only half joking when I said that I was uh, disappointed with the way that sort of PSG reacted quite late in the window. I mean, I think we've known, uh, certainly people following the club week in, week out, have known exactly where PSG needed to target to strengthen, uh, you know, in January ahead of the the second half of the season. And the fact that they left it so late to try and tie up Skriniar, uh, suddenly woke up to this potential deal for Ziyech when, I mean, I can understand sort of people getting potentially excited about Ziyech, like, you know, when he when he's, uh, you know, 
on form. Uh, you know, he's a great player to watch. I don't particularly think PSG needed him. I think there should have been a backup, uh, like an alternative to Skriniar, perhaps a stopgap solution for, for the second half of the season. Uh, you know, and I also think that they didn't need to leave it until the, until the last minute to try and work out what was going to happen with Herrera uh, and uh, also... Um, Navas as well. You know, for me, that's business that probably could have been done, you know, at least sort of in the maybe the third week of the window, which would have given them more time to line things up. So no, for me, I, I don't I don't buy it. I mean, yes, you can say that PSG got unlucky a bit. There were sort of extenuating circumstances a little bit. There was an LFP system bug as well, uh, round about the time that the transfer window was closing. But mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that that doesn't matter. I mean, as for what Fab was saying about, uh, you know, sort of the arguments from uh, both sides, at the end of the day, whether or not they agree on on sort of what happened and whether or not, um, you know, one party was a, a more at fault than the other, the LFP will not recognize uh, the ZS transfer. So whatever happens, he won't be registered as a PSG player. So it's... <laughs> unless they go back on their word it's not going to happen and that 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 is a big mess and i feel that given that psg were prepared to sort of pay for the loan of zh which is what they were prepared to do because it wasn't going to be with an option to buy uh you know they probably could have lined up somebody for their defense because their defense is absolutely shocking and as i said uh, about a week ago or so psg won't be winning the champions league with the the current defense that they have marquinhos is not in form ramos has suddenly dropped off in the way that you would expect a veteran sort of in his mid to late 30s. Uh, you know, and Presnel Kimpembe has been injured for months now. So for me, I think that given that PSG, you know, have sort of this much vaunted uh, recruitment department uh, and obviously a, a sporting advisor of the caliber of uh, Luis Campos, I think this was a failure for him as well. Mm. JJ, you saw the ZS fiasco, the screen yard debacle, but you also saw players move out. They need to go out. How would you rate overall? the January transfer window from a PSG perspective? I don't rate it that well, to be honest. I mean, I think I gave it a D minus in my, in my article. I guess if I'd have been allowed to actually give out like an F grade or a U grade, I might've gone for something like that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, no, I, to be honest, I'm not really that convinced by it. I mean, okay, getting rid of Herrera permanently, I think that's the right move for, for both player and club. Um, but I think Navas, I, I think PSG have blocked Navas one time too many. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does with Nottingham Forest and it's going to be great to see him playing regularly again. I think he probably should have been allowed to move in the summer. You know, we know that Napoli were very keen on him. Okay, you know, Napoli, based on their form at the moment don't need him but uh you know i don't think that psg perhaps should have stood in his way to make him be the the backup goalkeeper to donnarumma when you have somebody in sergio rico who is quite happy in that role you know he he accepts that he is a, a second choice goalkeeper uh and it's basically why he signed up to to play for psg to to take that role to make it his own so you know i think that PSG have been quite unfair with Navas sort of over the last six months or so. Uh, and really, I feel like, you know, if you're going to do business or if there's even a hint that you're going to do business in January, you have to be much better prepared for this window than PSG were. So for that, I, I wouldn't give them anything uh, above a D. Uh, I mean, even if they had pulled off the ZS signing, we would have been talking probably around C grade. I think the only thing that really would have been a game changer for PSG this month is either if they could have brought in Skriniar, uh, you know, brought that deal forward or found somebody else, perhaps a free agent or perhaps somebody who could have come in on loan, uh, you know, just to sort of add another body at the back in defense. Because this idea that PSG are well stacked in defense, uh, you know, ahead of a potential title push in the young, going for Coupe de France glory on top of the Champions League, where they're coming up against a very difficult Bayern side, it's difficult to feel too positive about their chances right now.
You guys can tell I'm excited, right? When Fabrizio is on and JJ is talking, I'm trying to get my ear closer and I'm wearing earpods. I don't know why I'm trying to get closer to the, the screen here. Uh, we got a great comment coming in from Vic, who's been very active right now talking about Chelsea Football Club, but also said, mute the mic, JJ. You just oh, aired it to PSG. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I got a question for you on Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and it's kind of a long-term thinking question more often. You know, you and I have both worked for Nasser at BN Sports. Uh, we know him obviously pretty well. And obviously you more so than anyone being around him at PSG. Um, with the, the Qatar World Cup now over, um, do you think that there's any worry whatsoever with the fact that maybe Paris Saint-Germain will not spend as much or not be as active or not have as much investment from the Qatari Sports Investment Group um, going forward? Is there any fear for that happening mm. that maybe they're just kind of pulling the strings back a little bit now the World Cup is over? No, I don't. I don't think that there is that. Uh, you know that that. Let's. I mean, let's wind it back a little bit. Let's not forget that at the end of last season, PSG renewed Kylian Mbappe on an astronomical wage. So that that is impacting PSG's ability to to maneuver in the transfer market at this moment in time. It's no secret that PSG would have allowed Neymar to leave had anyone wanted to come in for him and offered the kind of money that PSG would have accepted last summer. And there was a reason for that because so much money went towards keeping Kylian Mbappe at Parc des Princes. There's obviously going to have to be a bit of consideration now for PSG how they try and go about keeping Lionel Messi because, uh, you know, they have this, you know, some of this money that they could have spent to try and bring in Skriniar early in January. Obviously, you know, Fab was telling us they were only prepared to put in 10 million, uh, but they do have Skriniar lined up for the summer. Now, how much more money do they have to play with in terms of potentially uh, extending Lionel Messi's contract? They have that sort of that agreement, that pact uh, already that there will be a contract extension in the works. It's just a question of sitting down and discussing it all. I don't think these kind of things would be happening if, uh, you know, uh, NASA and, uh, you know, uh, QSI were thinking about, uh, you know, jumping ship. Yes, we know that there's been uh, discussions about them taking on a minority stake in a Premier League club. For me, I think that probably shows more that they're going to be in football, uh, you know, for, you know, the long haul, uh, you know, at least the, sort of the next 10 years, as opposed to looking getting out tomorrow yes we know that there's probably somebody coming in and taking a minority stake at psg as well but uh you know i think overall i mean you know nasa himself was involved in trying to get the screen deal done in january so i think that shows uh you know that he is still invested uh in, in what's going on uh, at psg on the day-to-day -day. i don't think it's a question that the qataris are losing interest just after uh you know the the world cup is finished uh, and they do still crave that champions league glory as well it just feels like you know, perhaps if everybody had been on the same page, PSG might have been able to put themselves in a stronger position than they're currently in at this moment in time. Did you, I'm going to jump in. Sorry, Mike. I'm going to interrupt you because you did to me earlier on. Um, <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that because I really think that Nasser and what the Qatari Sports Investment Group has done has been very impressive. And, and the way they handle their business. I mean, this is elite businessmen, of course, um, and they, love, they clearly love sports. So really impressed with how they've gone about their business. It's obviously started a trend as to what's happening in the beautiful game as far as I'm concerned. You've had many clubs before, PSG, Man City, and obviously uh, before that we've had even previous investment. But this is like next level investment now you've got the americans involved and the saudis involved it's uh, it's going to a new level we'll discuss that in just a moment go ahead mike sorry no all good all good all good we're one in one one in one i love it level draw jj moving out of the french capital and looking at france as a whole were there any other notable transfers i know you know where i'm going with this in league uh that you want to touch on 
Uh, you mean you're talking about the fact that we're going to have Vitinha versus Vitinha <laughs> on both sides of the PSG Marseille rivalry in a couple of weeks? Oh, That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that that is an interesting one, and I think you know OM can feel quite satisfied with uh, you know some of the business that they've done uh, so far this January. I mean. I don't think that there were too many clubs that did awful business. I mean, I think Angers have done business that you'd expect from a club that are going straight down. Uh, you know, both of the Moroccan World Cup heroes have gone. Bouffal uh, has moved to Qatar. Uh, and then you've got Unahi, he's gone to Marseille, which, you know, I think is probably one of the Ligue 1, uh, you know, deals of uh, January. I think actually if there's one club who could perhaps be really disappointed with the business that they did, especially after their recent takeover, that's Lyon. Uh, you know, I think that there's many fans sort of up in arms really wondering what's going on at the moment where sort of the vision uh you know for leon under american ownership is uh, is going to take them because it's not been a positive last couple of months and they had to be very very patient for that deal to get across the line so while you've got clubs like marseille who i think can feel very satisfied about the way they set themselves up for uh you know this potential title push at the end of the season on the other hand you've got guys like leon um you know who will feel you know, pretty underwhelmed. And I think it's not just, uh, you know, sort of PSG who woke up too late and, and messed things up at the end of the transfer window as well. You had Nice, uh, you know, they pulled the trigger on uh, on, on Thierry Moffi from uh, Lorient, but they failed to get Ismail Garbi from uh, PSG because that paperwork was filed too late as well. So it wasn't only PSG who fell foul of the fax machine at the end. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Hey, there's a slate of games going on in uh, League One today, obviously, League One for everybody out there who's enjoying French football and listening to JJ. Any game in particular that's going to catch your attention today? Oh, PSG are in action against Montpellier. They need to start getting some stuff done. I mean, they need to start putting up some good results. But is there any other game that's really catching your attention that the viewers and I should maybe look out for? <laughs> I mean, I think from the early games, I'm actually really curious to see what happens in the Toulouse 3 match because Toulouse are coming to Paris at the weekend. I'll be there for the game, hoping to be speaking to the president, Damien Comoli, before that game as well. So keep an eye out for that if we do have the exclusive interview in the end. But Toulouse have actually started the year unbeaten. Uh, if they avoid defeat tonight, they'll be going to Paris uh, without defeat so far in 2023. And obviously, Toulouse are one of those clubs that are at the forefront that we talk about a lot in terms of their use of data. Uh, you know, And I think they're starting to become a, a really, really interesting team to watch now that they've found their feet getting back to Ligue 1. So uh, definitely anybody tuning into the early fixtures, keep an eye on that. And you guys know me, I'm like a broken record. I'm going to tell you to go and watch uh, Lance versus Nice. And by the way, sleeper transfer. I know that it didn't work out for him in the Bundesliga with Mainz, but uh, Fulgini going back to France with Lance on a loan deal with an obligation to buy at the end of the season. It's going to be brilliant business. You heard it here first. We're not going to keep you much longer because I know those early kickoffs have already gone on the way and Michael's desperate to go watch uh, Marseille against Nantes. So uh, let's get into it. our final thoughts before we get out of here. Um, La Liga president Javier Tebas criticizes financial doping once again. We've heard it before back in 2020. I think it was against PSG that time. He's now claiming cheating to the English clubs in the Premier League in general. Um, here's a quote from him. What is the issue? Well, essentially, they are doping the club. They are injecting money not generated by the club for it to spend, which puts the viability of the club at risk if the shareholder leaves. In our opinion, that is cheating because it drags down the rest of the leagues. Now, Deloitte's sports business group um, estimated that Premier League clubs have spent over $1 billion. Deloitte do a great job with this, by the way, and I love following this, where the money's been spent, which league is spending the money, which teams are spending the money. Um, but my question to you, Mike, is, is where the hell are we going with this one? Is this dangerous for the game? And what are your overall thoughts on the quote coming out from Tebas? I, I, the irony of it, first of all, that La Liga 
who has let Real Madrid do whatever they want in terms of their finances. Barcelona still manages to spend money, even though they were broke last time we checked, is the ones and are the ones coming out and saying this. I think it's laughable. I'm not having it, first and foremost. I do have concern with financial fair play overall in Europe. I have it with PSG. I have it with the Citigroup. I have it with Newcastle and the Premier League overall. (coughs) You can say that. (laughs) Yeah, Chelsea. Well, you can't forget about them. But this comes down to different business models. La Liga, they have two teams that take most of the money. The money isn't going to the rest of the league. The Premier League, Nottingham Forest is buying players. It's not just Chelsea buying players. Chelsea accounted for about over a third of the spending in this window. That's a lot. Make no mistake about that. But I think this is one business model of equal profit-sharing rights for TV deal, astronomical TV deal that the Premier League and clubs benefit from versus a business model that only benefits two teams. Not even Atletico Madrid benefits from it. I think La Liga, change your model and you'll see dividends. It's funny that you mention uh, Atleti, actually, Mike, because uh, I was going to do this to wind up Des. I mean, obviously, we know that they've signed Doherty on a free transfer, which must be the most improbable deal of the January transfer window. But the other thing that kind of amuses me about that situation, you mentioned both Forest and Atletico Madrid. I mean, how much business has been done between those clubs in like the last six months or so? It kind of feels like Atleti have almost become like a feeder club to, to Forest, which is very, very bizarre. I mean, this obviously is a Forest who are now going to have uh, Kalon Navas lining up uh, in goal for them as well, King Kalor. But no, going back to Tebas and, and what he had to say, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, that that phrase, what is it? Um, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones because you look at some of the sort of dodgy dealings, wrongdoing sort of with like La Liga with regards to finances. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I applaud what they're trying to do in terms of the salary cap and trying to get their clubs to be a bit more responsible with the way they spend their money. And the fact that they pioneered that CVC deal as well, which Ligan is now following as well, where they try and improve the quality of the overall product by getting their clubs to invest in their infrastructure as opposed to just splashing a load of money on contracts and transfers and then potentially still getting relegated and dropping into financial oblivion anyway. But Tevas is always one of the first people to you know start crying foul play and and moaning and whining and you know whenever there's something that you know la liga needs to be criticized for you know such as the the horrific treatment of vinicius jr recently uh, you know he's nowhere to be found for for a hardline quote like this very very in detail from both of you very good stuff there i really appreciate that but we do have a comment coming in here from vic he says premier league clubs at risk question mark this man is a joke la liga clubs <laughs> they put us in this position they outmuscled the whole world for years but uh producer des who has been in our private chat he has a couple of great comments here saying that tebas has tightened up the rules in la liga and uh, he has also made the tv revenue split a lot more equitable in recent years and if you actually go through the transfers which i did do because i'm a little bit weird like that uh, real madrid made money over the last uh, year uh, if you go through the summer and the winter they're actually in plus 13 million which is insane for a club like real madrid mike and they're still winning they're still managing to win with this group well you see the lack of activity in the junior transfer window this is a club you could say what you want about florentino perez but this is a guy who came in and took them out of the depths of debt when he came in did it with luis figo and got a business model that works it's worked through that period it's worked through a pandemic and they are who they are on and off the field but the rest of la liga is not that way yes you can you can invest in real madrid you can make them the the, the crown jewel the darlings but the rest of your league needs investment and i'm not having it from Tevez, as i said before that look at the rest of your league Invest in them, implement money in them, and then you can talk. If you're not gonna if you're not gonna do the work in your league, you can't go outside your league and then criticize and try to have sanctions be put.
Do it in your league first. Look at that, Mike. Look at that comment coming in from Vic. Endrick coming in for over 60 million and he's 16. <laughs> Case in point right there, yeah. I guess. Uh, JJ, real quickly, uh, update on the scores in France. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, as I was bigging up uh, Toulouse, they're now losing 1-0 at home to Troyes, who actually an underrated team to watch uh, away from home. And you've got... Uh, Lorient, uh, who uh, you know, uh, up against Reims, who are fresh from their draw against PSG, uh, they're winning uh, away from uh, home as well. And Angers, rock bottom, also one up on uh, Ajaxio. So I'm sure that those scores will change a lot over the the coming 70 minutes or so. But interesting start to the this Wednesday night uh, slate. All right. Big thanks to everybody out there who jumped in the conversation today. Big thanks for Fabrizio to join us as well. It was a great conversation. If you're just joining the show right now and how's the champions, please make sure you go back and watch the episode. Fantastic to have Fabrizio, the deep, dark secrets as to what happened in the transfer window. We also got it from Jonathan Johnson regarding Paris Saint-Germain as to what he saw and heard behind the scenes as to why they couldn't get that ZH deal done. Uh, me one, and Mike, one, la- one, last thing, one last thing to add, they were munching pizza in the final hour of the transfer window. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh la la, we took some pizza. Yeah, disappointing to see that deal didn't go through, JJ. I know you were saying that they didn't necessarily need Ziyech, but I would have loved to have watched him play there, man. Yeah. he. I think he would have been great. And I've been frustrated watching PSG over the last uh, match days, man. The game at the weekend, obviously, had Join, the right the club. That day, but bloody yeah. hell, I was frustrated watching them. Conceding in the 96th minute against Rams, I mean, that was frustrating. Well, you see, you see, the thing is, you need to ask me before you put money on these games so that you don't then, <laughs> you don't, you're, you're not then emotionally invested in a bad pick. Yesterday I came to you about Bordeaux and they got beaten by Le Havre and uh, that was a difficult take for me. Boys, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us as well. Thanks to everybody out there for joining us and listening to House of Champions. Please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Also available as videos, so subscribe to us on YouTube. Make sure you drop a comment and share the love. Let us know who your favorite analyst or co-host is here at House of Champions. Is it Nigel Real Coker? <laughs> is it James Bench? Is it Michael? Is it JJ? Or is it me? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you boys thanks so much uh, everybody out there who's uh, enjoying the show we will be back again on Thursday for more action for you as we get you set for what's happening this weekend some lot of big big games around the top five years.